And then we consume information that shapes our expectations. So we have, if you imagine, almost like these like frameworks or templates we carry within us about expectations, they're quite developed and like totally unrealistic for our partners to really have like full view of what all of those look like. And I think that's why it's so important to make them explicit. And it's way better than running around getting resentful because all of these expectations aren't getting met. I'm Amy. And I'm Abby. And as women, we are constantly comparing ourselves to others. But your life isn't supposed to look like hers. Being your best self means standing firm in your decisions and always being willing to grow with a purpose. We get vulnerable and real with an honest look into the challenges and triumphs we all face. Every woman listening gets the opportunity to choose what life looks like for herself. In today's episode, you're going to hear from Dr. Morgan Cutlip. She's a wife, she's a mom, she's got two spirited kiddos, and she's got a PhD in psychology. So in this episode, we really dive into relationships, partnerships. Abby and I open up, I felt like we were getting some real-time therapy for ourselves, but I'm sure a lot of our issues also apply to you. We talked about when our partner gives us the silent treatment. We talked about when they have issues apologizing, all of these things that I think a lot of people go through. Yeah, what's so great about Dr. Morgan Cutlip is she takes the answers that we know we should be doing and then adds another element to it. So you can literally start using a lot of her strategies today and she makes it so practical. That's one of her main values and main goals in her practice. So without further ado, here's our interview with Dr. Morgan Cutlip. So to get us started, Dr. Cutlip, could you start by telling us why you feel so passionate about the work that you do? Yeah, so... It's That's always actually one of the hardest questions I get asked because it feels like I grew up in this profession. Um, in second grade, I wanted to be a psychologist in space. And it kind of evolved, obviously, <laughs> to be more realistic. But my dad is in the profession. He's been in the field of psychology and relationships since I was little. And I grew up going to, to school with him when he was working on his doctorate, going to conferences, speaking at conferences with him when I was in high school. And so it feels like a passion that I have always had, but that was nurtured in me, um, in my relationship with my dad and my work with him. And, I, you know, I had this realization in college where I said, someday I want to do something for women. And I wasn't sure exactly what that looked like. And then I became a mom and completely, we're talking about something else today, but like completely lost myself in motherhood and was overwhelmed by it. And I knew then I want to do stuff for moms to empower them in their relationships with themselves and with their partners because and their children, because all of these relationships are connected. So it's a very deep passion for me. I I love the work that I get to do. It feels like such a privilege to be in this space. And um, hopefully this comes through today, but something that is so important to me when I talk about relationships is that what I offer is practical. Mm. Um, I just like, I could spit out all the research and theory, but if you don't know what to do, when you hop off this podcast, you stop listening or you leave a post that I share or something, if you don't have something to do, I feel like it's not going to make an impact in lives. And so that's such a, just a priority to me when I share this information. Yeah. And I think it makes sense when you say everything's so interconnected, because Mm -hmm. I know for me, when I'm able to work on my relationship and feel in a really good place with my partner, our parenting feels better because we're on the same team and we're doing it together. What we know from our audience is that we're, we all go through hiccups in our relationships, right? And one thing that I saw on your feed that I decided to try is using the phrase, the story I'm telling myself is. And here's how I used it with my partner. I said, the story I'm telling myself when you keep walking past this bag of snow stuff that you packed for the kids and not unpacking it is that it's all on me. Mm -hmm. Unpacking the kids from a vacation is all on me. 
And it was really interesting because he had a very positive reaction to that comment. He said, oh no, I don't think that. And, and then I, I asked him a little bit more about why he kept walking past it. He didn't really have a reason, but it just felt like a very gentle way to call something out and to invite him into that conversation. We know a lot of women kind of get to their boiling point with their partners, but we know that when we're activated, coming across too strong doesn't necessarily get you to a better place. So can you talk about how using phrases like this are helpful when you have something to bring up? Yes, I can. Because it's, uh, this is also, it's funny you're saying this. It's also a priority on my account that we almost like there's space for both perspectives. It's kind of like an undercurrent in the information I share and something that I hold really close to me because we often get our interpretations wrong of other people, mm. whether it's our kids, whether it's our partner, um, oftentimes we get it wrong. So I'll, I'm going to answer your question, but I'm going to zoom out and explain kind of like the, I'm going to lift the hood and be like, what is going on and how we relate to our partners, even to ourselves or to our kids that affects the way that we approach them. And I think this can be really empowering. So all of us create these almost like mental sketches of people that we're in relationship with in our mind, right? We start sketching kind of like this picture. We'll just talk about partners. And when we do this, what we do is we take what we know and then we take, this is the, the tricky part, what we think about what we know. And we sketch this picture where we focus on certain things, we accentuate certain things and we minimize others. So if you think of like, it's kind of like a caricature, you know how they do that of presidents. Mm -hmm. It'll be like, Obama has these giant ears or like Trump has this crazy hair. And we like, we accentuate these characteristics and we really focus in on them. We do that with our partners. But here's the piece that's really important that we are in control of how we sketch this picture of them. And this picture is like, we, we actually interact with this picture in our minds of our partner more than we do with our partner in reality. And we filter everything through it. So the assumptions that we make, the conclusions that we draw, the meaning we make of things, like you're saying, the meaning I'm making or the story I'm telling myself about this pile is this. It's filtered through this picture of how we see our partners. And so I think like understanding that can be so impactful because have you ever like confronted a, your partner or almost reacted like this, like knee jerk reaction to something they said, and then you realize you got it way wrong. Oh, of course. <laughs> All the time. Like yeah. that is that picture at work. We do it all the time. And so I think this is really important to understand because if we take ownership of how we see our partner, how we sketch this picture, what we focus on, then we can sort of more clearly in the moment be like, okay, am I making meaning of this? Like somehow I've sketched this picture that says my partner's super selfish. And so now everything that they do or don't do, I'm interpreting it through this lens of them being selfish, which then what does it do? It just like revs us up inside. We get more angry. We get more resentful. We get more frustrated. We're huffing and puffing around the house, like doing all these things. So when you own it, you can understand that you have some responsibility in this dynamic. And then it makes it a bit easier to do those softer approaches. And I think part of how we take ownership and we sort of like rearrange the pieces of our picture is by checking in with our partners to make sure our interpretations are correct. So just like you said, the story I'm telling myself about this is this, is that right? Or approaching your partner with something like, um, hey, like you're saying this right now and the way I'm receiving it is this, is that what you mean? It really opens up a lot more possibilities for how we handle these interactions. Mm, that was so powerful. Right off the bat, I was talking to one of my other friends, Stacy from Decoding Couples, and she said something really powerful that her therapist said to her. And she goes, what do you win if you're right? So like we have these theories about our partners and then we keep that tally of like everything they're doing wrong in our lens. And yeah. it's like, what is that? How does that benefit you? But using the framework of here's the story I'm telling myself 
it just really allowed him to hear what's going on. But uh, oftentimes we don't even give them that chance. No, no. But then we don't win because we're still mad about the bag. No, we lose. We lose in such major ways because we get resentful and we get like what eventually happens. Resentment's a pretty serious case for a relationship. Like you're not in a good spot if you have some deep resentment. You got to do a little bit of work there. But in general, it just starts to sour the tone of the relationship where it's like, ew, now there's just this tension between us. And then it starts to trickle into everything else before you know it, like you're kind of cold to each other. Maybe you're not having sex as much. Now both of your your needs are kind of going unmet because this stuff can turn into pretty big deals if it, if it remains unchecked. Well, I'll even notice that when I'm painting that picture, and that was just such a good metaphor for what this is, is that I'll even guess what he's about to say. I'm like, oh, I know you're going to say this. Like, I know you're about to say this right now. Um, and it's not just with our partners, right? So much of what we're talking about today can be with your friends or your your in-laws, your own parents. Yeah. I mean, maybe with your children, even in some of these, these 100%. cases. But just being able to figure out and understand that you are painting this picture and then just saying what that picture means to you because it could have an entirely different meaning to the other person. For sure. Like we have to bring it to the forefront and recognize we're doing this so that we can get really clear about how we're sketching it. It's a hundred percent your kids too. Like I, we, I have um, two kids. Well, we have two kids. I'm going to say I have two kids, mm-hmm. uh, nine, our daughter's nine. And then our son turns seven tomorrow. And, um, he like, he just goes through this, has gone through this phase. We're kind of at the tail end of it where he'll just like kind of scream at me like an abusive roommate. And it's totally from anxiety and all this stuff. But like, if I sketched my picture of him as an abusive roommate, like, how am I going to react to him? How am I going to treat him? What am I going to offer him in those moments? But if I sketch my picture of his name's Roy, of Roy as this kid who's afraid and is anxiety and his anxiety comes out as anger, I can step into empathy. I can step into caring for him and meeting his needs in the way that he really needs instead of, you know, creating more issues down the line. So it's powerful. Once you got it, you're like, oh, I see myself doing this in all my relationships. We do it to ourselves too, but maybe for another day. I think all of our (laughs) listeners are going to be practicing this. I'm I'm going to start practicing this right now and just (laughs) thinking about that. But let's take it a step further because sometimes we can have these situations and then we take it so personally. Mm. We take these situations so personally. I mean, I've just just gotten out of a really long stretch of chronic fatigue where I was just, I mean, bizarrely tired for a really long time. I mean, over a year. And I remember Colin saying things like, oh, I would love if your energy was for us and our family instead of others. And I remember how much it hurt because I felt yeah. so shameful. I felt so embarrassed. And instead of being like, oh, like I, I'm, I'm trying, it would come across as, I would say mean things. Like it would just come across as being very, very from a hurtful place. Yeah. Um, it was such a hard blow to me, even though he was just trying to help me see like, Hey, like where can, where can I help out kind of a deal? But he wasn't saying those exact words. So, or he was saying like, I miss you. I, that's literally what it was. Right? Exactly. I miss you. Yeah. <laughs> but his words to me, cause I was hearing it as I painted this picture of, Oh, it's on me. I'm the one doing something wrong. He's mad at me right now. And I just took it so personally. So how can we work on not having such a strong reaction to comments just like this? If they're, because sometimes they're not even intended to hurt our feelings. No. So I'm just going to stick with this theme of this picture because part of what was going on is like how you sketched it of him, but also part of what's going on here is how you sketched it of yourself. Mm -hmm. In that season of your life, you probably saw I'm sure there were a lot of like falling short feelings, a lot of shoulds, a lot of um, guilt. And part of probably how you sketched your picture is like, I am a partner who is not able to like be there for my family in the way that I want to be. And that was, if you drew it out, like that would be huge. And all of the other things would be in the background, like, how I'm struggling, or maybe there's health stuff going on, like all these alternative explanations. And so part of what happens is when we have our own picture sketched in a way where we highlight all of the ways we're falling short, when somebody comes to us, like our partner, and they say something like that, it is just like, I don't know, it's just like taking a giant floodlight or like spotlight and like shining it on our shortcomings, because we're filtering it through this negative picture of ourselves, like a negative self-concept. And so it hits home and it hits harder. 
And then it's really difficult not to like snap back defensively. And so that's why like one of the most important pieces is like you own this picture of others and yourself. You are in charge of what that looks like. And so, you know, part of it, so there's lots of ways you can go about taking things less personally. One is like rearranging those pieces so that it can be more balanced. Like I'm not able to show up for my family in the ways that I would like to right now. And also I have health things. I'm I'm just jumping to conclusions here, but I have health things going on that are impacting me. And it makes this pretty normal that I can't do what I usually do. And that's like offering that self-compassion. Like these, both of these things can be true at the same time and they both can hold equal weight in how I see myself. So that's one piece is like owning how we see ourselves because we'll have like this heightened sensitivity to stuff depending on how we're um, our self-concept. Another is um, like we have to catch how we ourselves and how we make meaning of things. It's very similar to like how we approach our partners, but like if my, like my husband has this way of like, he doesn't filter his words. And part of how we make meaning is like what we know about the other person. Like he doesn't really filter his words very well. He's gotten better, but he's got like this thing where he's like, I'm a straight shooter. I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. Oh my gosh. That's my husband too. (laughs) He's like really proud of it. Like it used to be like this motto and we've kind of like made a joke of it now. It's like, well, I'm just a straight shooter. And I'm like, well, kind of, you sound like a jerk, but, um, I had to, really like dig into like, what do I know about him? I know that like, for me, words are meaningful. I know for him, words are just like, like he just tosses them out and like forgets that he said them. And so I've shifted kind of how I make meaning of some of the things that he says and he's shifted too, but um, where it's like, okay, well, what do I know about my husband? I know that like he says stuff pretty flippantly and it kind of doesn't pack as much punch to him as it does to me. So paying attention to that, I also like did an experiment on myself where, because I'm a highly sensitive person. Like I, I'm not sensitive in that you can hurt my feelings easily, but I'm sensitive in that. Like I pay attention to all the nuance. So if something shifts in the room, I'm like, what's the matter? What's going on? What's it's like really overwhelming. Yeah. It's so overwhelming. And it's kind of annoying. Like I don't, it can be so annoying. I can feel like when I'm in that space, I feel annoyed with myself. So I made this commitment for a month that I took nothing personally. And it was a sheer act of willpower where it was just like anything, whether it was my mom who can make, you know, moms have this way of like, she's amazing, but saying these things where you're like, Ooh, that hit me weird or with my kids or with my husband or my sister, anybody. I was like, I'm just going to give the most favorable interpretation of what they said. I'm going to give the most benefit of the doubt. And I'm just going to see how it feels for me. I just tried it on for size. And it changed. It was life-changing, honestly, because I felt lighter. And most of the time, the generous interpretation was actually more accurate than the one that I was creating in my mind. And so I would just urge people, like, if you're in the mood for trying something on, like, it's kind of fun to try this even for a week, if if a month feels like too much and see what shifts. And I noticed too, there were maybe things that were bugging me about, about Chad. That's my husband's name. Um, Maybe like a need he wasn't meeting or something. And the more I shifted this, the lighter I became, the more pleasant I was. And like, the more he stepped into meeting those needs, I was like, really, this is all it took was like for me to kind of make the shift. And I think that's so powerful because we as individuals can make a change and have such a massive impact on the dynamic in our relationships. The thing that I'm going to reflect back is it just sounds like bringing awareness to our own tendencies in relationships can be really helpful because if you're looking out for when you take things too personally or very personally, it's like, you're going to notice like, whoa, this might be a tendency of my own. Whereas as humans, we often have this reflector of like, nope, it's the people around us. They're saying things the wrong way. And it might be that we have to work on how we're taking things. It was also interesting to hear about your relationship because I can completely relate. 
And one thing is I'm very words of affirmation and my husband sends the shortest sentences you could possibly ever send. And I'm like, wait, I, I know this is who you are, but where can we meet in the middle? You don't have to change who you are, but I do need a, a little bit more praise, a little bit more love through words. So it's just, it's figuring out the puzzle of what you both need and how you can both move. Cause like you're saying, I don't think I just have to all of a sudden become like, oh, nope, I don't need any words. I know you love me. It's like, no, it's okay for you to come a little my way. Actually, let me speak to that really fast. Like, I don't yeah. want to take this off on a tangent, but um, that's that was like, so we've been married 15 years this summer and probably like the first 10 years of our relationship was him being like, you need more compliments and me saying, that's not quite right. We're like, yeah, yeah. You need me to tell you how great you are. Um, nope, that's not quite right, but I'm words of affirmation, but doesn't feel like it captures it for me. So I'll just leave this in case this helps you, um, in your relationship. So it took us like 10 years to get it right. And what I real, cause he, he would say things like, you're a good mom. I'm like, whatever. I know. Like, I heard you say that about like a friend that we haven't talked to in five years. Like you could say like a good mom, that is the most generic compliment. It felt totally flat to me. He'd be like, I tell you all the time. I'm like, yeah, but your compliments stink. Like they're so lame. So what I recognize is that one, like tell him what to do and he's so good at doing it. So like how to get very clear about what I was looking for. Cause he doesn't like operate in that same world as I do of needing the words where it's, I don't mean as much to him. And so, um, I, t- I needed compliments. I gave like a formula and I give this on Instagram too, which is that make me feel visible and valued. Mm. And so if you think about that, the compliment can have like this really great formula, which is like, I see, and then you name stuff you see, like, I see how hard you worked to get dinner on the table tonight. And the kids were kind of going crazy. And like, that was a lot to manage. And then you add the value. And I appreciate how you take care of our family in this way. And it's like, that's a good compliment. And so I think for, for partners, you have trouble with that. Sometimes they need like such a straightforward mm-hmm. formula, but anyway, back to personalization. I think this is another place where you can check in. So if you're somebody working on not taking things as personally, this is a great time for you to say, like, if you, you hear something from your partner, be like, okay, wait, this is how I'm receiving it. Is that what you mean? And work intentionally to challenge your interpretation of things and make sure you're getting it right. And I think if anyone needs like an extra push about this personalization piece, one of the questions you can ask yourself is how do I want to feel in my relationship? Do I want to feel personally victimized by my husband's socks left on the floor or my partner's towel that they didn't hang up? Like, how do I want to feel in my relationship and what part can I play in like shifting the experience for me? And not that we have to excuse everything. That's not what I'm saying. But some of the little things I think will go a long way if we stopped personalizing them. Mm, Yeah, that those answers just totally made sense to me. One thing we're going to shift gears a little bit. One thing that I bump into in my relationship is that my partner will deploy the silent treatment. So just the other weekend on a Sunday night, we got into a fight um, and we got a little bit heated. And then on Monday, he just was not talking to me. I was being myself. I was still, you know, being talking to him. And I, and I just had to address it. I said, I can tell that you're having a really hard time moving past last night and that you're not talking to me right now. I said, here's my perspective on what happened between us. And you know, I, I don't think that your silent treatment is getting us any closer to a resolution, but I'm going to respect if that's your decision. And that's how I approached it. I don't know if this is right or not, you did great. he, he did, um, come back and he was able to kind of like giving him the mirror helped him to start to initiate between us. And I think that for those of us that do have partners that will use the silent treatment, it almost feels like an extra burden of like, okay, 
I don't feel like this was my fault necessarily. And now I have to somehow try to break through this wall that you're putting up. So I wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about the silent treatment and how we can kind of work through that. Yeah, you did such a good job. What you said, like, I hope people are listening, like pause this and write that down. Cause I think for, I mean, this nice way of like revisiting what was going on, you just did it so wonderfully. And it makes sense that he was able to kind of open up and that sort of broke the ice because you weren't like, what is the matter with you? Why aren't you talking to me? Are you seriously still upset about this? Like you could easily have gone in that direction. So uh, what you said is perfect. I hope people (laughs) write it down and like tape it on their mirror if they need it or keep it with them or something because it was really great. So um, the silent treatment and and I kind of like lump it under shutting down because sometimes it happens after an argument where a partner will sort of pout or it can happen actually like in the midst of one where it's just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like we're not talking about this and it's really activating for a lot of people can make you feel anxious, can make you feel ragey of like, you don't get to do this, make this like one, one sided decision. Um, and then you feel really helpless because how do you move forward? So there's lots of ways to go about this. I kind of lump it into out of the moment and in the moment is how I would talk about it. You know, we know from research, like the way that we communicate is sometimes even more important than the actual details of what we're communicating about. So like the how of our communication versus the what. And so one thing that can be really helpful, if this is a pattern in a relationship, is to talk about how you communicate during conflict when you're not in conflict. So it would say be something like, um, and it kind of stinks to ruin good moments. So I, I, I get that, but also like, it does go a long way when you're in those harder moments. So I just want to like recognize it kind of sucks to ruin a good moment, but when things are good, try initiating a conversation with your partner that would say something like, I want to talk to you about the way we talk when we're upset with each other. And I've noticed that there is this pattern where, and whatever it is, once it gets kind of heated, I noticed you shut down and um, you can't really like, we don't make any forward progress. And I, I think a lot of couples don't ever come back to it. They just try to let it go at that point or they, one person stuffs it and then it just compounds over the years. So I would say, I noticed whenever we have a discussion, you kind of shut down. We don't really make this progress. Um, what's going on for you in those moments? And what can we do to make sure we like are able to finish a discussion? What do you need? What's going on? So those are kind of the questions. What's going on for you? What do you need? Or how can we, how can I approach you differently is another question you can ask. And let's make a plan for how we want to navigate these situations moving forward. So try to do it outside the moment. So you're in the moment is better. But if you don't do that, because lots of people don't do that and you're in the moment, a lot of it is in, in like therapy, we would learn to, to process the here and now when you're like, we are in training and it's very much the same type of thing when you're sitting with your partner and they shut down, you almost stop everything that's going on and you just observe what's happening in the moment. So you're fighting and all of a sudden your partner's like, they put their head down, they're kind of checking out and you would say, okay, wait, what's happening right now? Like I know, and you just notice like, okay, you put your head down, like you're kind of disengaging. It seems like you're feeling frustrated. Like, what are you, what are you feeling right now is one thing. What are you hearing me say? Um, Or what's happening right now? It's just like, that's, it's very simple actually. And you try to, and then give them the space to try to fill in what's going on. And if they're like, I'm just overwhelmed, I'm flooded. Or what, you know, they probably wouldn't say those words, but I'm overwhelmed what you're saying. Yeah, I'm flooded. Nobody's the most emotionally intelligent partner ever. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, who is she talking about? Um, you know, I'm overwhelmed. Like, I, it feels like you're telling me that I'm a bad partner. It feels like I can't do anything right. Like, they kind of usually that's probably where they're at, like the shame sort of spiral. Again, it relates to how they sketch these pictures of themselves and of you. And then you can respond based on what's going on in the moment. Okay. You think I'm saying you're a bad partner. Let me offer you reassurance because a lot of times when a partner's shutting down, not always, but a lot of times they need that reassurance. 
That's not what I'm saying. You are so wonderful in all of these ways. This is one area of our relationship I'd like to see shift a little bit. It doesn't make you a bad partner. It doesn't mean you're falling short. You do so much. That's right. Can we continue the conversation? Do you need a break? Like you can then troubleshoot with what's going on, but you have to stop and address what you see. I think that what I've learned over the years from talking to so many therapists like yourself is that idea of reflecting your experience. So it was like what we talked about in the first question, like when I phrased it, like, I'm just going to reflect what happened for me in my experience. Yeah. And then when you're giving me the silent treatment, I feel like you are, I feel like you are expecting me to be a really submissive wife. And that's what I, that's the language I used for that particular fight we had. Mm -hmm. And then it just gives them something to think about and something to hear what your experience is. And I feel like that's, I don't know, the key to all the therapy that we hear is like, yeah. you really don't want to project like, I think that you are, you know, X, Y, Z. It's more like in my experience, you shutting down like this is making me feel like you really want me to be submissive and you want me to be the one that says sorry. Mm -hmm. So that's been really helpful in our relationship. And now a break from our sponsor, BetterHelp. As we all know, relationships can be challenging. Having a partnership and a marriage that day after day, week after week, you are growing together and not apart, it can be really hard, especially after having kids. And that's where having a tool in your tool belt like BetterHelp Online Therapy can be an awesome next step. Not only can you meet with your therapist on a video chat, but you can also connect with them over the chat feature and get resources handed to you or go for a walk with a phone call. If you want to bring your partner on board, most therapists are okay with bringing your partner on and having that conversation with him or her in the session as well. There are just so many options with BetterHelp and having it be so convenient is one of the reasons that we love this service. Another great part about BetterHelp is that you can be matched within just a couple of days by taking their online quiz and finding a therapist that's best for you. As a Herself listener, you do get 10% off your first month by going to betterhelp.com slash herself. Again, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P.com slash herself for 10% off your first month of online therapy. Now back to our show. Another thing I noticed with shutting down is that sometimes it won't even be in the moment of the conversation, but maybe something big happened at work or they had a conversation with a friend and they come into the conversation already closed off, already yeah. about to shut down. And that makes it so much harder to even start those conversations. But I want to like really tackle one that Colin and I specifically go over, over and over and over again. This has been a challenge, not just since kids. It's been a challenge since we started dating 12 years ago. It's funny and how that happens. Oh, right. <laughs> and, and I Same think that thing. just with having kids, it's just been exasperated, right? Like it's, yeah. we just, I just notice it so much more, but it's the idea of not apologizing. So, you know, he'll do something and, um, he won't see my side of it. He won't see that he did anything wrong in the moment. So he won't apologize for something that he didn't think that he did wrong. And he'll say that over and over again. Like, I will for sure say sorry when I think that I did something wrong. I just don't think I did anything wrong here. So how do we go about this? Yeah, I think you're nailing exactly what's going on, which is that a lot of people have this belief system that I only apologize when I did something wrong. And I think we need to expand that belief system. We need to like get in there, like stretch it open and be like, no, 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 no. There's other reasons that you apologize. You ever bump into somebody and apologize? Like, oops, sorry. Was it purposeful? No. We live in the Midwest. We, 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 if you we apologize somebody, for everything. We automatically do, right? <laughs> I'm from the Midwest. It's like, I've had to like talk to my daughters. I'm like, sheesh, I apologize for everything. You know, sorry for breathing. It's so silly. So. What are the other reasons we apologize? We apologize when we've done something wrong. Absolutely. We can also apologize for how we've come across. So like if your partner comes home from work, they had a horrible day and they're a little bit snappy, but like not necessarily crossing any lines or anything. You can totally come back later. Your partner can come back later and say, I mean, I'm sorry it was kind of short tonight or I'm sorry it was kind of snippy. I had a bad day. Like I didn't mean to take that out on you. Not totally something wrong, but like they came across in the way that was kind of nasty. So I think it's, it's part of your conversation with Colin is around like his belief system 
around apologizing. And I think this like, this is like another piece to difficult situations with partners is that like, sometimes you're up against an actual like framework of beliefs and you're like butting into that. And you're like, why can't we get through it? I'm trying to say the right things. It's not working. It's like, well, cause they have this belief system that is like so big that that's what's getting away. And his belief system is you only apologize when you've done something wrong. And so that's the conversation piece. Like, and you can use the example of like, well, do you ever apologize if you bump into somebody? Did you really do something wrong? Like, no. And so what about if you unintentionally hurt my feelings? Can you apologize for the way that like your actions impacted me? And that's the piece of like the impact we have on others, intentional or unintentional, is something we can apologize for. And we should often apologize for. And I think there's also like, there's this, you know, we, we live on social media, unfortunately, but like this whole thing about butts and apologies and like, don't ever say, but, and like, I'm kind of like middle of the road on this because I think that sometimes like, it's kind of where the butt is placed, but sometimes um, people don't apologize because they don't feel like when they, one, they don't feel like they did anything wrong. And two, they feel like the apology doesn't have room for explanation. Sometimes we, our intentions were good, but we still hurt somebody. And so when you allow for room for like an explanation of intention, I think that makes it easier for some of these types of people who feel really kind of like rigid about apologies to actually move into apologizing a bit more often. So what, like I said, it matters where the butt is placed. So you don't want to say like, I'm sorry for hurting your feelings, but I had a bad day because that discounts the apology. So it would say something like, I'm really sorry I hurt your feelings. I want you to have context here. Like I had a really bad day, although I realized the impact it had on you and that wasn't okay. So you always want to end with recognizing that impact. But yeah, expand the 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 belief system around apologizing and allow for room for some explanation of context. Hmm. I like that you added in there how my actions affected you because I know yes. some people will say, oh, I'm sorry that you're mad. It's like, no, 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 no. Oh, Hold on a minute here. That's not that. an apology. Okay. You're, you're yeah. saying the words there, but no, not, I'm sorry that you're mad. How did your actions affect me yeah. as a person? And just kind of taking those steps there. Yeah. That apology is actually more inflammatory. I think like, sorry, you're upset. And you're like, no, kind of missing it. <laughs> you got to explain the impact. Yeah, there's a lot coming out here, but it's really interesting because you just also realize your partner's tendencies and patterns. So Drew is a good apologizer, but it takes him like a night to sleep on it. Yeah. And so it's not always in your time, but if they do reflect, is it okay that it's in their time? It's something that I've had to come to terms with. So we wanted to know, in your opinion, is there a definition of when arguing or bickering with your partner becomes too much. You know, those times where it almost feels like everything is a struggle. Mm -hmm. One thing that we often ask um, people in your position is like, when do people need like extra help, like an outside resource, whether that is a couple's therapist? Yeah. I would be so curious to hear what other people say. So I... Like, there's not a hard and fast rule here. Yeah, like 20 arguments a week. Yeah, you need therapy. Like, yeah, <laughs> you should start keeping score on these things. I think, you know, when the general, like, so I'm kind of like a big picture person. So it's like when you sit back and you look at the pattern of your relationship, if it is more like the pattern and the tone, if it's more negative than positive, like you're probably headed for some trouble. If you can tap into, even for a moment, your picture of your partner and it is just like, they're selfish, they're rude, like they're like, it's all negative, like probably you're not headed in a good direction. These are some things to pay attention to. But I think if there's not a lot of positivity and you're feeling like, I think we can get there all, like all of us, even the people who are in wonderful relationships can get to this place where we feel like we're stuck and it's going to always feel like this. But if you've been there, you're feeling a bit helpless and hopeless for a while, that is a good sign that it's time to reach out. Honestly, like couples therapy can be helpful at any point in a relationship, but really when you find yourself in that place, it's um, a good time. Also, if you, if there's a lot of below the belt behaviors, so 
um, like if the shutting down is like so unmanageable or like, let's say you're getting this sort of like silent treatment for like a week or days on end, like that's pretty significant. Uh, if there's name calling, yelling, if there's any type of emotional or physical abuse, like all that stuff is like, get in there as fast as you can, because that stuff is pretty significant. Any progress at that point feels like good progress, right? Like when you're starting, yeah. when you're starting there, and we know we have listeners who are there right now that yeah. they want to improve our, their relationships. They want to seek healthier relationships within their own partnership that they have. So just starting somewhere and then moving that direction um, can be so helpful. But you had mentioned something there that I want to just go in on a little bit deeper. You mentioned this positive, like this, this positive vibe that we have in relationships. And I think a lot of times the reason we have negative feelings towards our partners is because we have failed expectations expectations, right? We're expecting something from them and then they don't hit it. But then at the exact same time, we hear from our friends, from our community. I mean, I've even said this, I don't want to have to tell him. I want him to know that I need this. I want him to understand <laughs> that without me having to say it. So it's twofold, right? Because it can be, it can be frustrating for both sides. But what are your thoughts on this? Should we share expectations in order to avoid disappointment? Or is this something that they should be able to just know? Yeah. I push back on this piece about being explicit pretty hard, especially around the mental load. So, I mean, it's kind of a relationship cliche, right? Like we're not mind readers and um, yet like it's still a problem for so many of us. And I still do it sometimes too. Like even this morning, my husband's like, you're doing the things like, what do you need me to do? <laughs> it's just like, it's in my head. Like you should know. Um, so I, it's so, yes, I think people should be explicit about what they need. And I'll tell you why. But I also think we're kind of like, but like, I think there's this tension in, I don't know what society or something like how we talk about these things. I think there's this tension because in specifically the context of the mental load, for example, there is this big argument for like, you shouldn't have to ask. And so it's kind of like, and a lot of times our needs, what we need to ask about and our expectations are around that area or that domain of our life. So we're getting like mixed signals, like our partners aren't mind readers. Um, You shouldn't have to say, and then also we're getting the signal of like, they should be more intuitive and like, we shouldn't have to ask. And so I think it can get actually kind of confusing. So this is why we should say our expectations aren't just in the moment. We have expectations that are like pretty deeply rooted within us. We develop our expectations based on um, our experiences growing up, based on um, early experiences in like school and different structures um, and society, like what we believe makes like a good mom, a good partner, a, a good all the things, right? And then we consume information that shapes our expectations. So we have, if you imagine almost like these like frameworks or templates we carry within us about expectations, they're quite developed and like totally unrealistic for our partners to really have like full view of what all of those look like. And I think that's why it's so important to make them explicit. And it's way better than running around getting resentful because all of these expectations aren't getting met. Yeah, I my take on it is that I just don't think we're in the generation that is going to have partners understanding like every single thing that would be helpful. And hopefully we can demonstrate to the next generation and normalize um, more help from partners. But because we're not there yet, my husband jokes that I've just gotten so good at telling him everything <laughs> that I need help with because I was um, I was having a lot of resentment until I started speaking up and offloading tasks to him. And would I rather, you know, give him a lot of ideas of how he could help, or would I rather be resentful? And I chose the former because it I've found it I'm much healthier when I'm speaking about what I need. And, and for us in our relationship, it's taken a lot, but I think it's worth it. A quick break from our sponsor, Chomps. 
By now, you guys probably understand that this is one of my favorite sponsors of all time because I love their sticks. But what you might not know is the rest of my family does too. This is my kids' go-to snack. They literally go to the pantry, grab one out themselves. They can even open it. And as a mom, I feel good because this snack has 9 to 10 grams of protein, no sugar, and all simple ingredients. So whether you are buying for you or your family, now would be a great time. The Kiefer household's favorite flavor is the sea salt beef, if you want to start and try that one. We have 20% off your order at chomps.com. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com. Use the code HERSELF20 for 20% off. And now back to our show. One thing that we hear from our community that's really tough is that sometimes our partners are going through really difficult things. You know, maybe they their career isn't going the way they want it to. They had a job loss. You know, maybe they have a parent that is very sick or passed away. Maybe they have some depression. And for us, of course, we want to be supportive through those things, but it can also be really demanding because we already feel like I'm trying to take care of the kids. I'm trying to do my job. I'm trying to take care of myself. And now I have to carry a bigger load because you're a little bit down right now. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to know if you could give any support to the people that are going through situations like this. I know one in a confession recently Someone was talking about how her partner has been depressed for quite a few months and how much it's putting on her shoulders. Oh, yeah, this is, um, I actually have a post on our blog that talks about being in a relationship with a partner with mental illness. Um, so I know that doesn't cover all the things you're saying, but that might be a helpful resource for some people. This is tough. And it's like kind of a case by case basis. So like one thing we it's, it's actually the blog post is based on a podcast episode, but one thing we talk about is that when it is like a mental illness, one of the pieces that can be really powerful is externalizing it. So, um, it's not that like, Oh, my partner's depression. It becomes like, it's us versus the depression. Like what is our plan for when you have an episode? What I have, um, a close friend whose husband is, um, bipolar and they created a plan for when he's in a manic state and they made a to-do list because he's like so revved up that they're like, it's us versus this. Like, what are we going to do to equip ourselves? And like, when you get manic, like you're going to get some stuff done. And because that's kind of your energy level. And so I think that part of it becomes this, um, like taking the power out of it a little bit by making it external and putting you two aligned on the same team. So I think that can be a piece that can be really important. And I think, you know, it's just a hard space to be in, to be the partner who is doing the caretaking for the home, the family, the holidays, and then now your partner when you expect to have help. So I think like, I just want to acknowledge it's really difficult. It's a massive burden. And so I think that it might require, again, there's lots of ways to go about this. It might require a review and shifting of priorities um, and how you kind of like expect certain times, like, what do you expect for the holidays? Where are my priorities? Do I need to shift some things? So I have the capacity to give to my partner or do I need to shift? So I bring in some extra support and some help. I think another thing, if we're not talking about mental illness or sometimes when we are is, is check in with yourself. Are you taking on their work for them? Which I think happens a lot where we see a partner struggling and we feel like we have to be the one who does all the stuff to, to fix them for them. And so really kind of assessing yourself, am I stepping into this place of taking on their issues and um, making it my responsibility to repair versus letting like being supportive, but letting them have the space to do their own work. And it might not happen on your terms or how you imagine it should go, but also it shouldn't be on your plate which is another piece. This one is tough. And I think another thing too, is that like, it sounds so cliche. So like a really kind of cringy saying this, but it's true. 
that if we can anticipate something like this, if this is like a pattern in our partners or things like that, I do this with my kids when I know it's going to be a rough day. I sort of like stack my care. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I'm going to fill up on whatever I can get my hands on to, to care for me and nurture me so that I have like a little bit in reserve, if that makes sense. And so I think too, like if you have some awareness of like, this is coming down the pipe, um, maybe you can do some like pre-planning for your own support and care. Yeah. I think uh, one thing that sometimes we fail to do is lower our expectations or lower our bar. And what I mean is, you know, if your partner is not able to pull the weight, it doesn't mean that you have to take every single thing upon yourself and that everything can just be as normal. I think as women, we have a really hard time saying, you know what, right now our household, we only have 80%. Like we're not at a hundred percent. I can't make up the extra. I just have to realize like, this is a season where we're not going to be able to do everything we could do when we are both well or in a good spot. Absolutely. And I think like, I think that stuff conjures up guilt sometimes it's like, no, this is the holidays. Like we should be 110%. And I think sometimes it's really helpful to kind of like zoom out a little bit and be like, okay, like what is the totality of how I show up for our family and in our relationships? Like what's the big picture of like the patterns of what I do. And like a lot of our life we're living like eight, you know, 90 is a hundred. So if we have a short season of 80 or even maybe a prolonged season of 80, does this really change the trajectory of our life or our kids' lives, or is this really going to make that big of an impact or is, um, toning it down a little bit and living at 80% for our sanity actually worth it. And so, um, I think that's really great advice. And once you set those priorities as an individual, and then also as a couple, you can also figure out what needs to get done right now. And then that power struggle that you had mentioned before, it's not you versus the other person. It's us as a team against whatever we're fighting up against. But throughout this interview, this has just been so insightful. We have loved having you on. And you'd mentioned a few resources in the last few answers there with the blog, but let our audience know where they can find more of you. Thank you. This was so nice to chat with you too. I've been following you for a while. So thank you for having me. Okay. So I'm on Instagram, Dr. Morgan Cutlip. It's all one word, no periods. I'm there a lot. We have a blog, which is mylovethinks.com. And then I have actually um, right on the homepage, you'll see I have like uh, gifts for moms. So I have like four eBooks on the mental talking to your partner about the mental load. I love scripts. So it's got scripts in there, how you navigate the defensiveness, um, a guide for mom guilt, which is really a big one um, scripts for when you're burned out and need support. And then 30 things you can do to reset when you don't have any time. Um, and then also I have a book actually coming out in September, but it's weird. It's for pre-order already. And it's called love your kids without losing yourself. And so I'd love for people to check that out too. Oh my gosh. Look at how much you're doing. That's incredible. As always, we are going to share every single one of those resources in the show notes to make it easy for you guys. So if you could get us back and leave us a review on our podcast, that's a way that we can get really important episodes like this one out into the world.